Loneliness is something in you, not something that created a lack in the environment around you. This message is the third in the series, Friends. The message is entitled, Keys That Free You From Loneliness. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we get ready to study God's Word this morning. Would you join me in welcoming all the folks at all of our campuses, all the folks in Frederick, and Clarksburg, Universities at Shady Road. Good morning to all of you, and let's dive into God's Word together. We're involved in a series of messages entitled Friends. I want to talk to you this morning about a topic that maybe you've never heard a message on before. I want to talk to you about keys that free you from loneliness. I'm not sure that actually over the years I've ever actually heard myself a message on loneliness. And as I was preparing for this series, one of the themes that I wanted to talk to you about is this very important topic. How do you deal with simply feeling like that you are alone? And there are a lot of lonely people in the world in which we live. In fact, I would have to say more than likely that loneliness across the globe is what we might call an emotional or psychological epidemic. There are a lot of people who are living alone. And although we have all the access to social media and those kind of things, in some ways, even that has created a sense of isolation among people. And we don't have as many meaningful relationships as we've had in times past. And the truth is, in all of our campuses this morning including this room, Frederick, Clarksburg, USG, all the different gatherings where Church of the Redeemer would be gathering this morning. There are lonely people in each of these rooms, each of these gatherings. Perhaps you are suffering with and struggling with a sense of loneliness in your life. And I want to talk to you about how do you deal with this from a biblical perspective? How do you understand what loneliness is and how do you handle it the way God would have you to handle it? There are three things I'd like to share with you today that I think will help us to really address this topic and to grow in this part of our life. And the first thing I want to do is kind of blow out of the water a a misconception, uh, something that oftentimes we think will cure our problem for us. But the first uh, principle or point I'd like to talk about for a few moments this morning is to understand something. To understand that adding people to your life will not automatically subtract loneliness from your life. I think a lot of times we think that, you know, if if I'm going to overcome loneliness, I've got to add some people. I need people in my world. And the reality is if you can add people into your world, it doesn't mean that the loneliness inside of you is going to go away because loneliness is not just something about your circumstance. Oftentimes it's something related to you. There's something inside of you that has to be addressed. And your environment may very well be contributing to your loneliness, but freedom from loneliness actually begins not outside of you, but actually inside of you. Because if you're unhappy with yourself by yourself, you'll never be happy with other people. And a lot of folks, they can't get along with themselves. And the reason they can't get along with a lot of other people is because they're not happy with themselves. If you can't be satisfied with you, you'll never be satisfied with anybody else in your life. In fact, what will happen oftentimes is that out of your loneliness, trying to fill that void and add people in, you'll end up adding the wrong people into your life. And here's the, the thing to always remember. In any relationship, there's a common thing that occurs. Every relationship you go into, you carry you into the relationship with you. That you can't get away from you. You carry you into every relationship. And again, if you're unhappy with you, you're not going to be happy with other people. People are important, but people will not fix you. There's a great man in the, in the New Testament, of course, all of us recognize his name, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul 
was a great uh, teacher of God's word, a great pastor, a great bishop, if you will, an apostle that uh, planted churches and did a lot of wonderful things spiritually. But there were times in the Apostle Paul's life when he found himself very much alone, oftentimes because of being in prison for the gospel. He would preach the gospel and end up in jail because it was an adverse, adversarial environment in which he preached. And so oftentimes he would find himself in a lonely prison somewhere, oftentimes chained, sometimes chained with, with Roman guards, sometimes not. But he's finding himself dealing with life alone. And so he has to learn, how do I handle life when I can't have the people around me that I want in this moment? And for all of us, there will be those times in life when you want people around, but people just aren't around. You feel like you need people, but they're not there in the moment. And so you and I have to learn how to find a happiness inside of us, a joy inside of us that comes from something other than our circumstance. And the Apostle Paul discovered this in his own life. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he's writing from the prison of Rome. He's incarcerated for preaching the gospel. And I want you to see a lesson that Paul learned in his life. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for... I have learned to be content. Would you say that phrase with me? For I have learned to be content. See, content is something you have to learn. It doesn't come natural to be contented. In fact, the natural orientation of life is to be discontented, always to want something different or to want something more in life. But Paul said, here in this prison, I've learned a lesson. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret And again, he uses a term there, the secret. This is a very key thing to life. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul said, you know, it's not that I don't need people. I just don't have people right now. And because I don't have people in my life, I can choose to be unhappy or I can choose to find joy. I can choose to be miserable or I can choose to lean into God. And I have learned that whether I have a lot of what I think I need or very little of what I think I need, I have learned that I can be content because God is really all I need. God is the one that carries me through. And so I want to remind you this morning, before I talk about the principles, I'm going to give you the next two principles that really will help you to begin to deal with loneliness in your life, to understand that just adding people to your life is not going to subtract loneliness from your life. You have to make the decision to put God first in your life. He has to be the one that is the source of your joy. And the beautiful thing is, and I can testify this to this in my own life, as many of you can, in those lonely moments when it seems like there's nobody around that can care about you or be there for you when you need, God is always there for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the joy of your life. Amen? And so don't think that there's a magical cure here just by adding people. Number two, to cure loneliness, you have to focus on things about you that get in the way of forming, with, forming friendships with people around you. So having said that, first of all, people aren't your cure, right? But now we understand that and we want to work on that issue in life. Now, how do I actually get the right people in my life? And to get the right people into my life, I have to deal with things that are affecting the relationships of my life. 
And sometimes the connections that we're seeking with other people and the loneliness that goes along with the fact that we don't have the relationships or friendships that we want, really the issues are not about other people. The issues really are about us. If we could understand more about ourselves and fix some things about ourselves, get some obstacles out of the way to remove some things that are offensive to other people, to remove some things that are off-putting to other people, that get in the way of relationships all of our relationships would be better. And so I thought what I would do this weekend is to give you a list of 16 unattractive personality characteristics. Are you ready for that? I know you wanted to be encouraged this weekend, right? So I want to give you 16 unattractive characteristics. I promise you if you practice these 16 things, you will have no friends in your life, okay? I promise you, if you behave these 16 ways, nobody will ever want to be around you. I promise you a life of misery and loneliness, okay? But if you address them, I promise you that you can turn it around. I want your help this morning. We're going to go down through these 16 fairly quickly. And so I want you to read them together with me, all of our campuses. So we'll talk about them one by one. Again, we'll move through them rapidly. Read together the first one. Independence, isolation, and lack of vulnerability. When you close yourself off from other people and you don't invite people in and you isolate yourself and you have this lack of vulnerability, what happens if you're closed off, other people will be closed off to you. And there's some of you that have learned patterns of independence in your life and it actually repels people. It pushes people away. It's just the, the very nature by who you are says, don't, don't bother me, leave me alone. Number two, anger. Anger. Have you ever met the person with the proverbial chip on their shoulder? They're daring you to tick them off. They walk around with this sort of angry attitude about them and they wonder, why do I not have any friends? Well, there you go. Nobody wants to be friends with a person that they're not sure when they're going to blow up the next time or what reaction there's going to be. And so for many people in our world today, anger is a really big issue. They, are, they have real anger problems. They haven't learned how to manage that dimension of their life. Number three, what is it? Neediness. Highly dependent on other people. This is the opposite of the independent. This is now the dependent. They have to have somebody all the time. They're always getting their sense of assurance and reinforcement from the people around them. Have you ever been suffocated by a needy person? I mean, they, they're like a parasite. They latch onto you, and you can't shake them for anything, okay? And they just will drain the life out of you. Number four, I know that's a tough one to say. Go ahead and say it. Nobody here has that issue, right? Control, the need to tell other people what to do. Maybe that's you. The need to control the lives and the behavior of other people. It's not an attractive trait. Number five is jealousy. That's people that just can't be satisfied in the security of a relationship. No matter what you do, they're jealous. They feel the jealous edge. And so, uh, and we'll talk about this in a moment. The insecurity underneath that is driving their personality and their responses in that relationship. Number six, what is it? Stubbornness. I know that's a tough one to say as well. Some of you are so stubborn you wouldn't even say it, okay? <laughs> stubborn people refuse to change. And I will tell you something about relationships. If you don't change, you'll never grow and you'll never have very meaningful relationships. Relationships are about people changing people and stubborn people never change. And so at some point in time, relationships can't work without the give and take and the process of change. Number seven is prejudice. Prejudice is a horrible thing. 
It happens in so many different ways. And what prejudice is, it's, the, it's a simple word, but it, it, it really entangles itself into humanity in all kinds of ways. The, the word prejudice means prejudging. That's all it means. That you set something in your mind about a person and you react to them based upon the prejudgments that you've had about a person or a group of people that is not, oftentimes, is not anywhere close to being accurate. But because it's in your head, you now are reacting and responding that way. And prejudicial people can't build meaningful relationships because not only does it affect in terms of all of our interactions culturally and those different areas of life, but it happens just in marriages and families and interactions. When you prejudge anyone, along with prejudgment, usually comes a sense of condemnation that you extend toward that person that you are prejudging. Number eight, lack of emotional intelligence. Let me talk about this one just for a moment. You know, you can be really, really academically and intellectually smart and be absolutely not have a clue when it comes to relationships. Maybe you've met someone like that before. I mean, brilliant people, but absolutely dumb when it comes to interacting with people. They don't know how to read emotions. They don't know how to properly respond in situations. A number of years back, a man by the name of Daniel Goleman did some research in this whole area of emotional intelligence and really brought it to the forefront of something that kind of you intuitively knew, but he made us aware of some of the things that are necessary for relationships to work, and that's the capacity to read and respond appropriately in emotionally oriented environments. And by the way, relationships have a large dimension of emotion associated with them, and you have to learn how to read and respond effectively to emotions. You know that 95% of your communication is nonverbal? Think about that. 95% of what you try to communicate with other people is not even in what you say, it is how you say what you say or sometimes what you don't say. And so emotionally intelligent people learn how to watch for cues and pay attention. They learn how to develop the listening skills that are necessary to bring about good interaction. Number nine, lack of social etiquette. I mean, you just don't know how to behave in a relationship. You don't have good manners when it comes to relationships. You, you sort of talk over people or cut in on conversations or you dominate conversations. It's all bad social etiquette. You practice that, you'll have very few friends. Number 10, selfishness, self-centered ambition using uh, people. People that use other people. Explain it this way. People, there are a lot of people in our world that their orientation toward a relationship is to build relationships that with people who will get them what they want. That's their idea. I want to go somewhere in life, and so if I know this person, they'll help me get where I need to go, and so I'll use that person, and then when I'm done with them, I'll go on to the next person and use them until I'm done with them, and so they will be my ladder on the way to the top, and they use people. People are not to be used. Amen? Love people, use things. Don't use people and love things. Isn't it amazing how we twist stuff around? We have the tendency to use people for our ends and fall in love with things, but God teaches us the opposite. He says, I want you to learn to love people and use things. And so don't have the kind of ambition that squishes people on the way to the top, whatever the top might be for you. People over time recognize that. Number 11, contentiousness, having an argumentative personality. 
You know, argumentative people, if you say white, they say black. You say up, they say down. You say right, they say left. They say yes, you say no. Whatever whatever the scenario is, there's always a conflict going on. They're looking for something to create a fight over that's not positive. You will be lonely if you live your life that way. Number 12 is insecurity, always needing reassurance from someone. Number 13, immaturity, emotional childishness. Does anyone here know a 50-year-old baby? Well, some of you do, right? A 50-year-old, 40-year-old baby. They haven't grown up. They haven't matured. They still live with a childish orientation. Number 14, interestingly enough, is impurity. What I've learned about life is this. If you live in moral filth, you stink. Amen? I don't mean you stink with a physical aroma. But people who traffic in the filth of the world, they develop an aroma about them, okay? And that aroma about them is only going to attract people who can put up with the smell, right? If you're trafficking in the things of the world, if you're living a life that is contrary to the purity that God has called us to live in as Christian believers, I'm not talking about absolute perfection here, but I'm talking about leaving behind the ways of the world and going after God and seeking to live for Him. If you live opposite of that, I promise you there's going to be a stench to your life and only the people that can put up with the stench will stay with you. And by the way, if those who are putting up with the stench, stay with you. Those are the folks you really don't need around you. But impurity is something we want to clean out of our lives. We want to grow in holiness and impurity. Number 15 is impatience. Gets you into trouble. There are a lot of folks who rush into relationships. They overwhelm people. They expect too much too fast. And they're trying to make a relationship work quickly. And so they don't have the patience to work a relationship well. And the last one is poor spiritual, mental, and physical upkeep. Let me just uh, sort of boil that last one down to two words. Are you ready for this two, these two words? Just be attractive. Look in the mirror every now and then and do some work on you, okay? Look in the mirror spiritually and say, where, where am I at spiritually? What's going on with me? And look in the mirror mentally. How am I doing with my mind? Am I growing in my thinking? And look in the mirror physically. Keep yourself up. Why? Because people who work on these things of life, they have a capacity to develop friendship. And I promise you that if you are living in one of or more of these 16 categories or traits that I've just described, they're going to affect your capacity to develop friendships, meaningful friendships, strong marriages, great families, all these things get in the way. The third point I want to share with you today to overcome friendship, overcome loneliness is to practice actually being a friend. Notice there are two words. The first one is practice. Say that word with me. Practice and practice doing what? Being a friend. See, being a friend doesn't come natural. You have to learn how to do it. You have to learn how to develop friendships. I mean, none of us just automatically just grew into life learning how to be friends with people. You have to to develop this process. And the best way to get a friend is to be a friend. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself, what? Friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Of course, it's talking about Jesus Christ in our life, God working in our life. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But if you want to have friends, how should you behave? In a friendly 
way. And if you can get this verse down into your heart, not just intellectually, but in a practical way and start practicing it, that you practice actually being friendly. You can be friendly. I know that you don't think you can at times, but you can be. You can learn how to be friendly. And I want to take that word friendly and I want to, I'm going to break it apart for you a little bit by using some other terms that will help you to understand how to be friendly. And the first word I want to introduce to you when you think about being friendly is a word that's not often used in our culture today. It's one that I wish we would use more often. I love this word. It's one of my favorite words. It's the word winsome. Say that word with me. Winsome. W-I-N-S-O-M-E. Winsome. And to be a friendly person means that you become a winsome person. Person. And a winsome person is a person that has an engaging, a pleasing approach to people. They don't off-put, they, they engage in a positive, pleasant way with those that they're trying to make connection with. They've learned the, the social etiquette, the emotional intelligence, those kind of things that help them to bridge gaps with people and to move effectively and in a healthy way into the world of other people to be a blessing to them. And so to be winsome allows you to win some people into your life. That's why I love that word, because win some people, win some people. Say it with me. Win some people, win some people. Winsome is the opposite of being a jerk. Okay? Winsome is the capacity to, as I said, engage. We'll talk about that more in a moment as an important word. In the lives of others, again, in a pleasant, positive way. And I want to use a story from the New Testament to sort of paint the picture of winsomeness in a way that you may not normally think of the word. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 30. I'll read down through verse 37. You know the story, but let's, let's listen to it again. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Let me stop there. Here's the story. This man's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's not a long journey, 15, 17-mile journey, but it's a very dangerous journey. There's a lot of curves in the road. It's a very dangerous place. Robbers are hanging out in the darkness, in the caves that surround that area. And this man's traveling on this journey, and one of the robbers takes advantage of him, not only steals from him, but beats him up, leaves him by the roadway half dead. Now, let's continue the story. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You know the story. Here's the priest coming from the temple in Jerusalem. He sees the man on the side of the road. He's half dead. And this priest says, I, I, I'm not going to involve myself with this. And he goes to the other side of the road and just keeps going and passes by. So to a Levite, that was also one of the servants in the temple in Jerusalem. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by where? On the other side. But a Samaritan. That's a very important statement right there because you have to know the background of this just a tad bit. A Samaritan was the direct opposite from a cultural standpoint of a Jew. And they hated one another. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. And they had no interaction with one another. So now we've got, we're introducing into this situation someone who by nature would have been an enemy of this individual. Okay? 
Someone who by nature would have had nothing to do with this particular person. But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. As he felt something on the inside. He had a desire to reach out to the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Which by the way meant that this man had to do the walking. While the hurting man got the ride. He put the man on his own donkey. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him he said. And when I return I will reimburse you. For any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus poses a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Remember the last couple of weekends we've been talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So which of these do you think, these three do you think was a neighbor? Or will you allow me this morning, if you don't mind, just for the sake of emphasis to paraphrase this just for a moment. Which of these three do you think was a friend? Which of these three do you think was winsome? Which of these three do you think was being friendly to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. Anyone with any sense has the answer. Certainly wasn't the first man and certainly wasn't the second man. It was the third man that did this. And then the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, now read this command that Jesus gave. Let's read it together. Go and do likewise. Who said that? Jesus said it. And so the words of Jesus are to every one of us. He's saying, I want you to pay attention to the Samaritan guy because he's teaching you a lesson. I want you to learn from him. I want you to pay attention to what he did because what he did is what I want you to do. Go and do likewise. Practice the pattern. Be like this guy. Now, I would ask you a question this morning. Do you think that this Samaritan that day won a lifelong friend? Oh, you better believe it. That the guy that he took care of, do you think that guy was his friend for life? Well, you can believe it. You can believe that they developed some dimension of relationship. There was certainly a level of appreciation because this Samaritan did something. He stepped into this gentleman's world who was hurting in a winsome way. And he brought about healing and restoration. He was there in a way that represented friendship, a neighborly response. And so what do we learn from the story? I told you I was going to give you some words that help us to understand how to be winsome. How do you win friends in your life? How do you connect with people? How do you move beyond being lonely? Here are some things that will help you. Number one in this is to learn how to be attentive to others. Pay attention. Did the Good Samaritan pay attention? The first two gentlemen, the priest and the Levite, they saw, but they gave no attention to the situation. And so when some people pay attention to people around them, they are attentive to the needs attentive to the people around them. Number two, to be winsome, to win friends, you have to truly care for others. The Levite, the priest, did not care. They only cared about themselves. And if you go through your life only caring about yourself, I promise you, your friendships will be very limited. Because friendships are all about caring for other people. Good marriages are built when the husband 
cares about the wife and the wife cares about the husband. Good families are built when parents really care, not just physically in terms of provision, but spiritually and emotionally care for their children and children respond to that care. Friendships happen when people care and the caring, you don't sit back and wait for somebody to care for you. You engage the caring process. You step in and say, I'm going to step out there first and show that I care. Well, you say, well, what happens if they don't respond? I don't know. What happens? You just care for someone. Well, what if they hurt me? That's okay. Nobody said that life was going to always be perfect, that everybody you reach out to is going to always respond in kind. Not everybody's going to respond, but I promise you, if you don't reach out to anyone, no one will ever respond, okay? And so when you step out and say, you know what, I'm going to pay attention, I'm going to care, I'm going to, I'm going to make myself vulnerable, I'm going to reach out and extend some care here. Number three, and that's engaging with others. This Samaritan was an engager. He engaged the process. I love the picture of the story of him kneeling down beside the man that is half dead and going into his own resources and pouring in the oil and the wine to immediately address the situation, sort of a triage moment that he has there taking care of this gentleman. And then, of course, he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to the end. And that gives you your fourth word, and that's investing. He actually paid out of his own resources for the help of someone else. And so here's what friendships are all about. You'll never have a friendship, meaningful friendships, unless you pay attention to people, right? You've got to pay attention. Maybe there's somebody in your world right now that you've written off. As, oh, they would never be my friend. That may end up being one of your best friends if you'd simply pay attention. And then you have to actually care. Not about you, but what's going on with them. You know, oftentimes what we do is we want people to ask us about how we're doing. When was the last time you asked someone else about how they were doing? I mean, genuinely, how you doing? How are you? I'm interested in you. See, our world is so focused on ourselves. And so friendship is paying attention. Friendship is caring, friendships, engaging. Oh, that's what's going on. Can I pray with you? Can I connect with you? How can I invest in something that will make your life better? I'm not here to get something from you. I'll tell you the fastest way to scare people away from you. So if they sense you're trying to get something from them. Amen? If they're, they sense, oh, that person's after something from me, that scares them away. But when you come with a genuine concern to say, I want to add value to your life. And I will add value in whatever way you allow me to. But I want to add value to your life. And out of that, trust is developed and friendships occur. If you live this way, I promise you that you will win friends. And you will be less lonely. Understand, will adding people to your life subtract loneliness from your life? No. Just adding people to your world is not going to automatically get rid of all your loneliness. There will be lonely moments in your life for the rest of your life. And part of the reason that is is because you need some lonely moments in your life to attract you to God. You need Him to be number one, okay? If your life is always filled up with people, you'll never go after God. So you need some lonely times in your life where you say, God, there is only you in my life in this moment, and I learn to lean into you. But also you realize, God, as I'm leaning into you, would you help me to perfect my personality? I've got some personality issues. Anybody just want to shake your head and say, yep, I've got some of those in my life, right? Some personality issues, okay? 
And God, instead of worrying about who, I, who is my friend or not, let me work on me. Let me find out what things I need to get rid of in my life. And then, Lord, help me to learn how to be friendly, how to reach beyond myself into the lives of those around me with attention and care, engagement, and investment. Let's pray together today. Father, we thank you for your work. We're so grateful for you speaking to our hearts today. We ask that you'll take this message this morning and let it be real to us, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to apply this to our lives. Lord, I pray that uh, beginning and the, the very first point this morning, you remind us that, Lord, you are the one, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And, Lord, that just adding people will not subtract and take care of all of our needs. We need you in our life. I pray, Lord, across this worship center and for all of our campuses, Lord God, this morning, for each one of us, that the personality issues in us that you're trying to perfect, I pray that in the name of Jesus that you would work in these areas of our life by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to learn how to be friendly so that we can have the right friends. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.